everyone. This is Alex Miller. Welcome to episode 10 of the Barbell Den. First off, just want to say congratulations to myself for making it 10 episodes. And thanks to you as the listeners for, I guess, making it thus far with, with me. On today's episodes, uh, what I'm going to do is 10 lessons uh, in celebration of 10 episodes. Some of the lessons will come directly from the podcast. Some of them will come uh, in the background, right? Things that I've learned through the process of building out the podcast. So it's not necessarily one-to-one. It's not a synopsis of all the episodes. Uh, The first five lessons will be from the guests, and the last five will be just different things that have stuck out to me. So as always, this is supposed to be buffet style. Hopefully you get, you know, if you get one thing out of it that you didn't know before listening to the podcast, I consider it a win. As always with the Barbell Den, we'll make things actionable for you. So for each of the lessons, I'll, I'll describe it a little bit, give some examples, and then also how I try to make it actionable in, in my daily life and hopefully how you can make it an actionable actionable in yours. Just briefly, for those that haven't listened to all the episodes, I did just want to give a quick summary of each of the guests that I've had thus far, just five of them. So Noah Scott is a real estate investor. On that show, we talked a lot about real estate investing, how to think like a real estate investor. Justin Pilla is an NFT co-founder. On that show, we talked a lot about cryptocurrency, defining words like blockchain, getting a better understanding of Bitcoin versus Ethereum. Joe DiCarlo is a baseball player. On that show, we talked about the importance of competition, how he thinks about his finances, the things that are important to him outside of baseball. Marlo Bryant works in the venture capital space. On that show, we talked a lot about burnout, right? How to identify it, what to do once you recognize it. Marlo is a big snowboarder, and that's that's sort of his silver bullet when it comes to finding burnout. Then lastly, Nick Thomas is a helicopter pilot. On that show, we talked a lot about cold immersion, uh, the Wim Hof method, Nova's breathing. Nick has a really awesome routine, and I definitely learned some things. So those are the five guests if you haven't listened to everything so far. Um, again, this is not a synopsis of the 10 episodes. It's uh, it's 10 lessons from 10 episodes. And I uh, hope you enjoy the show today. Okay, let's jump into lesson number one. So lesson number one comes from Noah Scott. And Noah actually gave me this tip or mental model when we were having coffee last week. So I'm cheating the system a little bit as it didn't come from the podcast. What Noah told me is, look, when you set goals, you want to be process-oriented and not goal-oriented. So I talk a lot about systems versus goals, and I think I have trouble articulating it. So this model helped me a little bit further. So what Scott Adams says is, if you do something every day, it's a system. If you're waiting to achieve it someday in the future, it's a goal. And the reason why I like this model is, sometimes goals are out of your control. If you focus on the systems, you're ensuring progress. So for example, maybe you got promoted and you think, hey, I'm the best person ever, but maybe the company just had a really good year and they promoted everyone, right? So you have to separate the process and the result. The counterexample to that would be you had a great year, you sold a lot, you did a great job managing your team, you had good metrics, but the company had a really bad year, so you didn't get promoted. So you have to separate the process from the result. And oftentimes, right, if you have a great year, you will get promoted. But I I like the idea of focusing on the process and not the result. So for example, with the podcast, my system is 
I'm going to talk to smart people. I'm hopefully going to become a better speaker. I'm putting myself in an uncomfortable position. Those are the things that I know I can control, right? If my goal, so that's what I want to focus on. If my goal was, hey, I want to get to 10,000 downloads, that incentive structure could cause me to take shortcuts. Maybe I pay for followers or downloads or whatever it is. And even if I achieve that that goal, I don't know how sustainable that is. So I really want to focus on the process, my system, and not necessarily the goal. So even when I think about broader goal setting, and I, I think I want to do a podcast on, on goal setting, but for this year, nothing is goal oriented. It's all process oriented. So what are the daily systems that I want to put in place for my health, for the podcast? Um, and nothing is like, I want to achieve X in two or five years. So the actionable takeaway for me to the listeners is if you were to do three habits consistently over the next couple weeks, or maybe the next month, that would make your life better. What would they be? The other way me and my friends talk about this is if I know nothing else about, you know, the next month, but I know you did these three things consistently, would it be a good month? So if you say, you know what, I want to try to get eight hours of sleep every night, I'm going to do no alcohol during the week, and I'm going to try to take a 20-minute walk to start each day. If I know nothing else about what happens over the next couple of weeks, to me, if you achieve those three things, you're putting yourself in a position to likely succeed. I like that mental model. So, so lesson one, be, think process, think systems, not necessarily goals. Lesson number two comes from Justin Pilla. So Justin Pilla is the NFT co-founder, really knowledgeable in the crypto space. As I was studying for that show and as I heard him talk, it made me realize the difference between an investment and a speculation. So unless you can describe the value proposition and the way your investment vehicle makes money to a fifth grader, I think it is a speculation. And now you might say, oh, well, Alex, what does it matter if it's an investment or a speculation? For me personally, I don't like to have more than 10% of my, my net worth in speculative assets. So the example is, you know, he really got into the NFT space. He was, he was buying and flipping NFTs. And I tried to sort of do the same, but I was just speculating. He was investing. He understood each of the projects, why this project was better than another. So he was investing, I was speculating. And that distinction is important to me. And I think as I went through that episode, I realized there was a lot more gaps in my understanding of crypto. And it caused me to rethink the way that I think about my crypto allocation, in my own portfolio. So the actionable takeaway for, for this lesson is review all your individual stock investments in crypto and confirm that you can articulate the way in which that investment vehicle can make you money. Again, maybe the distinction doesn't mean a lot to you, but I think you're only kidding yourself when you say, hey, I have all these investments. Well, they're not really investments, they're, they're, they're speculations. And I would argue there's not that much of a difference in um, if you were to bet on sports or something like that. Now, the, the, the caveat here is if it's like an S&P or you, if your index maybe you just have some Bitcoin. I do think that's different. I think it this lesson becomes a lot more applicable if you're into these like, you know, small market cap, crypto, biotech, things like that. 
Lesson number three comes from Joe DiCarlo, and this one people have heard me say a lot. If it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And this comes from Derek Sivers, who was on the Tim Ferriss show. And I, I think the way to think about this one is the kind of the kind of cool stuff drowns out the really cool stuff. So you need to same, save room for the really cool stuff. If you say yes to the kind of cool stuff, you'll never have time for the really cool stuff. So I, I try to apply this now to, to work when possible, social events, trips. Some of the things that I think about is, you know, rate it from one to 10, but you can't do a seven. A lot of times people cop out and like just say like it's a seven, but if you can't do a seven, okay, it needs to be a six or an eight. An eight to me is a hell yes. A six is sort of a meh. Another way to think about this, and this comes from my friend at work, you know, is this activity giving me energy or is it training energy, right? If it's going to give me energy, great, let's do it. If not, if it's like, uh, I have to do this, to me, it's a, it's a no. The actionable takeaway here is the next time you feel like doing something, I, I reply, thanks for the invite, but I can't make it. I'm trying to become more comfortable with the idea that I don't owe people explanations for not wanting to do things. I think in the past, I'd be like, thanks, I can't make it because of blah, blah, blah reason. I don't think you necessarily owe people that. I think you can just say thanks for the invite, but I can't make it. This is probably my biggest emphasis for this year. I think I'm really bad at saying no to things. And I can think of two things in the past couple of months where I had in my mind, I was going to say no. I called the person and said, hey, I can't do it. And then I sort of felt bad. So I changed my mind, right? I think it's not that I dislike these people. It's just that that specific activity I knew was going to drain energy for me and again, I'd put this into the kind of cool bucket. So it gives me less time to focus on things that I find really cool, right? Like the podcast or work or spending time with friends and family, or maybe there was a pickleball tournament, whatever that might be. So actual takeaway, thanks for the invite, but I can't make it, period, send. Lesson number four comes from Marlo. And this is another piece of advice that I've thought a lot about and also that I've given to folks who come to me and said, Hey, Alex, what do you think? It, that actually happens more than you might, you, you can imagine. But the advice is, or the mental model is, what are you trying to solve for? So when faced with a big decision in life, and I think it's been most related to people trying to switch jobs, ask yourself, what are you trying to solve for? Naval has this mental model where he says people should spend more time thinking about these three questions. And it sounds obvious, but I've thought about this a lot. The three questions are, where do you live? Where do you work? And who are you with? And I think that can apply to both friends and relationships. So when faced with a big decision related to any of those three questions, think about what are you trying to solve for, right? So let's take the work example. I think what I've seen is people were, were burnt out at work Right, and not burn out in the sense of, hey, I'm working 80 hours, but they're not feeling the same sense of community. The job market was so hot, they found a cool other role or what they thought was cool, and they just jumped on the first thing that popped up. Then three to six months later, right after the honeymoon phase, you realize you're in the same spot. So my biggest the, my biggest takeaway from Marlowe in this mental model, what are you trying to solve for is if you're going to make a big move, 
know what the criteria is that you're trying to improve in your life, right? Is it, I want more money or is it, I want a better manager or is it, I want better work-life balance? Whatever that looks like, just make sure you know it and make sure that move is improving those aspects of that scorecard. So one other takeaway on this one, what are you trying to solve for? I think there was a time last year where I was thinking about all three pillars at one. So where I work, where I live, who you're with, and I was overwhelmed. And not that you can just focus on one at a time and be blind to the other two, but I do think it's tough to focus on more than one of these key variables at once. So try to prioritize, if, if, you're, if you're stuck, if you're thinking about all three at the same time, try to figure out which one is most important and ask, your class, ask yourself the question, what are you trying to solve for? Um, and then, right, you can move. Marlo also has this mental model. Is this the biggest problem in my life right now? So if you think where you work, who you're with, where you live, think about one. And the other two say, hey, I know I might need to solve this who I'm with question, but maybe I don't need to solve it right now. Lesson number five comes from Nick Thomas. For those of you who listen to the episode, Nick is Nick's like Superman when it comes to his routine and his health. So my takeaway from that was, the, the lesson from that is, what is one step you've taken this year or can take this year to advance your health? As Nick was going through his routine, I was like, you know what, Alex, you have a good routine, but there's definitely ways you can optimize it, right? Um, the mouth taping one. So for those who don't know what mouth taping is, basically when you sleep, you can put a piece of scotch tape over your mouth and that uh, encourages your body to breathe through your nose for, versus your mouth. All to say, as Nick was going through all these different things that he does and cold immersion and nose breathing and breathing exercise, I was like, what else can I do? Is there one thing I can do more to further optimize my health? Naval Ravikant says you should always be trying to pick up one good habit and get rid of one bad habit. So the takeaway for this is like, just think of one thing, and it can be a small thing, you can do to optimize your health. Some simple ideas, 100 ounces of water daily, try to get 10,000 steps, maybe every other day, prioritize eight hours of sleep. I actually want to do an episode on um, 10 ideas to kickstart your health. So those are maybe three. Um, all to say, Nick got me thinking, there's always ways to optimize your health. And it doesn't have to be these crazy things like go out and run 18 miles to start your day. But I think more hacks that are less effort, higher results. All right, so those are the first five lessons. As I said, the first five lessons will come from each of the guests. The last five will be a grab bag of items that, you know, some are related to specific podcasts, others are just related to the uh, the process of putting the podcast together in general. Lesson number six is progress is better than perfection. So episode one of this show was imperfect to say the least, right? There was the audio quality was messed up. I, I used a lot of filler words. There was awkward pauses, but I got it out there. There's this concept in technology called minimum viable product. And the way to think about that is the best way to build a technology product is to get something out there as soon as possible and get feedback from users. The alternative is you spend 12 months designing, building what you consider to be a perfect product and you realize the customers don't like it. 
So instead of building it all at once, you build it a little bit at a time, continue to get feedback, and then based on the feedback you get, you then make uh, design decisions. Colton Richards, who is uh, the co-host of this show called Outside the 9 to 5 Podcast, he said to me, look, dude, I'm low research, high action. And I kind of like that. Now, I'm not saying you should not do any research on, you know, if you have $100,000 in your brokerage account. But I think why I like that mental model is, at least for me, I had all these different ideas over the past couple of years that I didn't, that it ultimately did not do anything towards. So I built out models in Excel for a real estate property. I, you know, thought about options trading. I thought about crypto, all these different things, and I ended up doing zero of them. So the reason why I like the podcast is, hey, Alex, this is an easy step that you can take and see where it goes. So I'm I'm proud of myself that I took some action, and that's why I like low research, high action. Additionally, going back to the MVP example, progress is better than perfection. I think you should be slightly embarrassed by your first pass at something, right? It's not going to be perfect. And, and getting something out there ultimately is more valuable than not getting something out there. As dumb as it sounds, I think it's actually way more applicable in people's lives than they think. So the actual takeaway for you is what is one step you can take today for the thing that you've been putting off for that idea that you had in your head? Right there's a great example or a great story of um, a guy wanted to start a gym routine. So all he did for one week was drive to the gym, swipe in, and then go home. So he literally would go to the, he would drive to the gym and just turn right around once he got to the gym. What he's trying to do was he was trying to build up the habit of just getting to the gym, right? And then over time, he started to work out. So that's an extreme example. But again, progress is better than perfection. If week one, you're not going to the gym at all, and week two, all you're doing is driving to the gym, hey, it's still progress, and then you can build on that over time. Lesson number seven is, are you focused on internal or external scorecards? So in the Wealth Creation episode, I pose the question, do you want to appear rich or do you want to be rich? Joe DiCarlo also gave an example like, look, I don't care that people view me as just a baseball player. The people that are important to me, they know who I am. They know the characteristics that I embody and they know that I'm more than that. Naval Ravikant also has this quote, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. So it's like, you got 300 likes on Instagram. Now what? (laughs) You rented a Lamborghini in Miami for $200 for the day and post it on Instagram so people think you're rich. Now what? Like you're playing a stupid game, you're winning a stupid prize. People think you're cool, like okay, that doesn't really get you any get you anything in life. Social media is the ultimate external scorecard. I'm actually a little bit disappointed that I have to use it to promote the podcast. In a perfect world, I would just not be on Instagram at all. But the takeaway for this one is the next time you're in a funk, see what deleting social media for a week does to your mental clarity, your sense of self-worth, self-worth. I always tell people when, when, you know, they're in a funk or even when, when I'm in a funk, like that, that's what I do. I delete social media and I lean into my health. Lesson number eight is the five chimps theory. So in zoology, there's this, this theory that you can predict the behavior and mood of a chimp by studying the five chimps that they hang around with the most. 
every single one of my good friends has been super supportive, wants to help, has offered ideas. And now we bounce ideas off each other as they think about the next step in their career as it relates to the podcast. So I think what going through this exercise of building out a podcast has taught me or it, it has cemented the idea that I'm I'm really grateful and happy with the friends that I have. Furthermore, it has made me realize the best way to avoid conflict is to avoid people who engage in conflict often. So I'm grateful the, for the friends that I do have and also have been deliberate about the friends that I don't have. So my actual takeaway here is just as a quick sanity check, and I'm, I'm not saying you should think about all of your friendships as transactional. It's more or less just a mental model for you to, again, as a sanity check. When you think of all your friends, are there habits or character traits that each of them ha have that you can aspire to? And are they pushing you to be better? So when I think about my close friends, I, I can go through them confidently and say, hey, this person is better at X than I am. And again, I'm not saying it should be transactional. I just think it's a nice sanity check. Ultimately, I enjoy being around them. They're supportive. They share my values. So all those things are important, but they're also helping me uh, to be better. Lesson number nine is on increased awareness. So I've been trying to think more about when I have a really good day or a really bad day, what are the activities? What did the preceding 24 hours look like? I gave the example a few times where I was playing pickleball and I was a little bit moody. I wasn't playing well. And in both of those examples, I went out the night before and was drinking and slept poorly. It's really easy when you go out, like say if you're, if you're focused on your finances, well, you can check your bank statement and you can see, or your credit card statement, here are all the things I spent money on and it balances out and here's my new bank, uh, here's my new balance in my bank account. But there's not an equivalent for that for like mood or happiness. It's not like you could say like, my friend gave me a compliment plus $10. I got yelled at at work minus $30. There's no equivalent to that. So I'm almost trying to build out that ledger through awareness. So if I have a really good day, I'll say, hey, what are the preceding activities that I had in that previous 24 hours? What did I eat? What did I drink? You know, did I take a walk? Did I get outside? And contrarily, if I had a bad day, well, what happened? Right. And then trying to be more aware, therefore I can change or I can document and not that formal. I'm not like creating a, a Microsoft Word document. I can document the things that give me joy and the things that don't. And I can be more deliberate about doing those things and sort of optimize my, my, my systems over time. So that's the takeaway. The next time you feel sluggish or super clear, happy, try to think about the preceding 24 hours and are there trends, right? Are there things that you can do to be happier? Are there things that you can avoid to, to maybe less moody? The, the last lesson is thinking about discipline one step upstream. And this comes from Colton Richards. So the examples on this is like, or the idea on this is, when people have really good discipline, a lot of times they have really good systems in place to optimize that discipline. So if you say, hey, person X has really good diet discipline, well, maybe person X 
does have good discipline, but they also don't keep ice cream in the freezer. Or if you say person Y has really good financial discipline, well, maybe they do, but maybe also they have systems in place, right? Maybe they automate money, their money distribution so that money isn't sitting in the checking account. So it's trying to think about discipline one step upstream. So it's, it's, it's like a disciplined hack. So Colton taught me that. And I've been thinking about that a lot is how can I hack my discipline, right? If I'm trying to eat better, I'm trying to get to the gym more. What are things that I can do to grease the wheels? So that's takeaway. The one thing you want to do more of, is there a discipline hack? The equivalent of not keeping ice cream in the freezer or putting your shoes out and putting your shoes out before uh, the night of a run. What is, is there an equivalent to the thing that you're trying to optimize in your life? that can help help grease the wheels and help you achieve what you're looking to do. All right, so those are the 10 lessons from 10 podcasts, or you could even think of it, 10 lessons from nine podcasts. As always, appreciate you listening. Feel free to uh, reach out at A22Mill on Instagram with any feedback that you have. And uh, the next couple of weeks, we do have some, some more exciting guests. So appreciate uh, you taking the journey with me so far through these 10 podcasts and looking forward to the next 10 and, and hopefully many more.